Hello, my lovelies. Welcome to another episode of Under Reconstruction. Today, I specifically want to talk about the term Christian. It has become a very problematic term for those of us who have grown up in the church, for those of us who are still redefining what our belief system looks like um, away from um, away from the, the tenets and the institution of the organized religions. So let's talk about the history of the term Christian. It is not something believers call themselves, first of all. Let, let's let's get that cleared up. It is not something that the early believers called themselves. <clears throat> when Paul and Barnabas were ministering in Antioch, um, in Acts, we are told that it was there, that it was people in Antioch that began to call those who were following the teachings of Jesus Christ Christians. And they called them that because they were behaving like him. And that has been a point of fixation for me in recent months, that to be a Christian, to truly live up to the meaning of the word as it was originally intended to be used, one should be living like Christ. Well, what does that mean? Does that necessarily mean that I need to travel all over the place for three years and not have a home of my own? And No. Does it mean I need to learn to become a carpenter using only hand tools and no power tools? No. In Galatians chapter five, we are told what kind of fruit a life should produce if it is indwelt by the Spirit of God. If it is living under the influence and walking in step with the Spirit of God, we are told what the fruits of the Spirit of God are in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Say, but the fruit of the Spirit of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, down in verse 25, just a couple of verses later, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, this tells me if I am claiming to be a believer in Jesus Christ, if I'm claiming to have surrendered my life to his teachings, that means that the Holy Spirit now influences and informs all of my choices. So my life should line up with those fruits. My life should be filled with Expressions of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Kindness, gentleness, goodness, patience, peace. These are all things that I tend to see missing from especially the radical end of modern day evangelicalism. Lots of judgment. Lots of anger, lots of hard and fast declarations about what God does and does not want, who God has and has not chosen. But I see very little in the way of kindness or peace or, or gentleness. And that's a problem. Now, those same Christians will point out the times in the Bible when God's wrath was felt. Most of those are in the Old Testament, let's be honest. And if you try to get them to live by Old Testament principles, they'll look at you and say, well, I'm, I'm covered by the blood, so I'm under the new covenant. Well, here's the problem. None of us are called to live by Old Testament law. None of us are making sacrifices. None of us are, you know, none of the women I know are moving out of their houses during their monthly period. None of them are going through a ritualistic cleansing. At the end of that, to be allowed to come back into their homes and sleep in the beds of the, with their husbands. Um, 
none of us are avoiding the con consumption of pork. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things from the Old Testament that we don't pay any attention to. So to use God's standard of dealing with the misbehavior or disbelief of the Jews in the Old Testament, it, it doesn't ring true. Um, if you want to talk about how Jesus behaves, since the word is Christian and Christian means Christ-like, if we want to talk about how Jesus behaved, Jesus saved his harshest words and actions for the religious elite. Early in his ministry, he walked into the court of the temple and saw money changers there that were cheating people out of fair money exchange. They were cheating them out of a fair price for the sacrificial items they were purchasing. And he got mad and he flipped the table. And these were these were made out of, you know, lengths of wood. These these were not, you know, the plastic tables that most churches have in their fellowship halls. He flipped this sucker. So he was a strong man. And he said, you have turned my house into a, a, a den of thieves and, and, and vipers. It should be a house of prayer. But they were looking to make a quick buck. That made him angry. He called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. He referred to them as a den of vipers. They constantly tried to trip him up and get him to say things in defiance of the law. And he held his own against them every time. But if he ever showed any signs of frustration or anger or judgment, it was against the religious elite, not against unbelievers. Not against people who were trying to learn and grow and become better people and just needed a nudge in the right direction. Those people got his gentleness. Those people got his, his care, his love. And somewhere along the line, the institution of organized church has lost that. We have forgotten it. We have forgotten that the Bible also tells us that by whatever measure you judge others, you will be judged. So if you're going to judge others by the Old Testament, that's how you're going to be judged. So things just got real dicey for some people. The other verse that my husband has repeatedly brought up, and again, has become a little bit of a point of fixation for me as I work through this particular topic. is in Romans 2. It says, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? The kindness of God leads you to repentance. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. If there is one phrase that I think the church is completely ignoring and is shoved completely out of their minds and doesn't talk about nearly enough, it's that one. It's that verse. If they truly believe that the world is lost, I have a different opinion, but if they truly believe that the world is completely beyond hope, if they truly believe that they have discovered an answer that they should share with others, learning to share it from a place of kindness would be far more effective. Today's church have become the modern day Pharisees. 
they're more concerned about their power and their control over the members of their various little meeting places. And they have completely forgotten how to exhibit the fruits of the spirit. They do decently exhibiting it to one another, but they certainly don't exhibit it to those outside of their little group. One of the most heart-wrenching things for me as somebody who grew up in the church, and I, don't get me wrong, there were traumas, but there are also some people from my church past who are still very dear to me. We have stayed connected. In a lot of cases, we're walking similar journeys into a place of reconstruction and deconstruction. But it's heart-wrenching to sit back now that I've stepped away, now that I'm no longer actively engaged in a local congregation, to sit back and watch all of the anger and the vitriol and the judgment and the hatred that they will dress up as, I'm simply trying to do what God wants me to do. I'm trying to live the life he wants me to live. When scripture glaringly says, if you want to emulate the characteristics of the spirit of God, those characteristics are love and joy and peace and patience, kindness. And that word comes up again in Romans. It is God's kindness that leads you to repentance. This organized, institutionalized group of individuals who claim to be following the teachings of Christ, they claim to want to be obedient to God's will, and they are missing some of the biggest pieces of the New Testament teaching. And I can see they're missing it because the only reason I've had these thoughts and discussions with my husband over these verses is because we've done the digging and looking on our own. And the only others we have found willing to engage in those conversations with us are also disenchanted with the church. They are also on their own paths towards reconstruction or deconstruction. Because the church itself has completely lost the point of their existence. They've completely forgotten why they exist, and they've become nothing more than a, a club that occasionally engages in, in some sort of activism, but their activism is always aimed at making sure their club stays strong and, and stays present and gets to have a say and gets to see that things go the way they want them to go. I think one of the reasons that those of us who are reconstructing and deconstructing our faith, one of the reasons we struggle with what to call ourselves is because in the purest meaning of the word Christian, we're trying to find our way back to that. We're trying to understand what that looks like and live it out in our daily lives. Unfortunately, that term has become so contaminated by its connection to the modern day church that it makes us feel a little bit gross to try to use it because we don't want to be affiliated with the political extremism and the anger and the judgment and the hatred and the... So yeah, if you know individuals that are in the process of deconstructing or reconstructing their faith or trying to sort of redefine what exactly it is that they believe, 
If they can't sum that up for you in a single term, be patient with them. Because the word that should be the one we get to use has been tarnished and maligned by a group of people who have completely missed the point of the gospel.